You're listening to the audio podcast of Richard Hefner's Open Mind. For more information, visit 13.org slash open mind. I'm Richard Hefner, your host on The Open Mind, and today I would like so much to reprise, at least in tone and intellectual conviction, a well-remembered conversation I had at this table a little over a quarter century ago. Its theme, as that of several other Open Mind programs in the late 20th century, was religion and social activism, which Jesuit Father John Lafarge editor of Catholicism's America magazine, had discussed with me here on Open Mind, as had Protestant ministers William Sloan Coffin and Martin Luther King, among others. But on November 22nd, 1987, my guest was the late Marshall Meyer, the distinguished rabbi who then presided over New York's ancient Ashkenazic synagogue congregation B'nai Jeshurun where I should note my wife then worshipped and does today, and where today spiritual leadership is shared by my guest, Rabbi J. Rolando Madelon, brought there to the pulpit by his great teacher, mentor, and friend, Marshall Meyer. Now, some thought Marshall Meyer too radical, perhaps preoccupied to distraction with concern for the poor, the dispossessed, the others of the world around us. And I asked him quite directly, those many years ago, whether his constant commingling of social activism and religion might not be a divisive factor. First, he asked, in my life or the life of my congregation or the people I serve? I said, in the life of congregations the world over. And his reply was quite compelling. What he said was, I can see where those individuals who consider the church or the synagogue, in my case, the synagogue, to be what they require of a valium. They would like to come on Friday night or a Saturday morning and hear a very, very anodyne, mellifluous, saccharine service of the same nature, the same taste. I don't believe that's what a service is about. I believe, said the rabbi, that there are moments of jubilee, jubilation, elation. There are moments of celebration. There are moments of meditation. But the basic thrust of the service must be to find in one's own life the presence of God and to translate that presence into action. And I think I stand on very solid grounds on that. Because if we had to make this division between politics and religion, then we would have, to quote the words of the magnificent Abraham Joshua Heschel, who is probably the greatest thinker of 20th century Judaism, we'd have to take out of the Bible the biggest politician of all, and that's God, who would then have no place in the Bible because he is constantly interested in the poor, in the freedom of men and women, in the widow, in the defenseless, in freeing the oppressed. After all, concluded Marshall Meyer, we Jews were slaves under Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. We Jews come from slaves. 
This is the thrust of prophetic Judaism. It can be divisive. And if it is, it should be. Now, I'd like to ask my guest, Rabbi Madelon, to what extent he would agree with our late friend. Our late friend was also my beloved teacher. And he spoke very eloquently. I learned from him. I hold this to be true. And this is why I became a rabbi. I grew up in Argentina in Marshall's congregation. And he inspired me to discover my calling. And I am a rabbi because of that message, which he delivered over and over again. And so I, uh, I stand firm in that conviction, which is not always easy to implement. But this is what I believe uh, people of faith, religious people, are called to do. Are you equally a disciple of Heschel? Well, I never m met Heschel. Uh, Heschel died in 1972. I came to this country 10 years later. But Marshall was profoundly devoted to Heschel. Heschel had been Marshall's teacher. Marshall had also been Heschel's personal secretary for a number of years. And uh, when Marshall came to Argentina, he built his congregation and he built a rabbinic seminary down there in Buenos Aires. Um, I think inspired and um, uh, uh, inspired and filled with Heschel's uh, uh, teachings. And so I, I heard about Heschel and I, we studied Heschel in the congregation later on. And when I went to study at the seminary with Marshall, we, we, I, I studied Heschel's books uh, with uh, Marshall's uh, commentary and plenty of anecdotes. And, and then, of course, I came here and discovered more Heschel. So Heschel has been part of my religious life since my childhood, although I never met him. So, but I do consider him to be one of my great teachers, the teacher of my teacher. And the question of divisiveness, the, divis the divisiveness of social action, how do you react to that? Well, look, uh, uh, there, uh, there are two aspects to this divisiveness. Uh, one is what you indicated in your opening remarks. Uh, there are some people who simply want to go to a, uh, a, a religious uh, uh, place, uh, to a church or a synagogue or an ashram, in order to find calm and, and peace, to um, escape from the world's uh, troubles and tribulations, to find some respite from our busy lives and the complexity of life. And, and of course, there is a place for that, to find calm and quiet, to, to, to focus on the, on the inner life, uh, to, um, to nurture one's soul through, through quiet and, 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 and beautiful music and singing and psalms and so on. All of that is valid and, and there must be a place uh, for that. But that's not all. The place of religion, the sanctuary, the synagogue, the church, must also be a place of agitation. It is a place where we are presented uh, a vision of the world that could be, 
the world that ought to be. And when we hold that vision through our prayers, through our study, through the study of our sacred text, when we hold that vision and we compare it against the reality in which we live, we have to feel agitated. We have to feel that it's unacceptable, that the world can't be what it is, that we human beings must do better, that we must try harder, that we must solve the problems that we face. And therefore we have to feel a mixture of agitation and righteous indignation. And so we have to hold both those emotions those, or those sentiments. There has to be place for both in the synagogue. Heschel said prayer must be subversive so that when you encounter the prayer book, not, it's not only some sort of balm for your soul, which it should be when, when you are discomforted, when you're troubled. You have to find a place of quiet, a place of comfort. At the same time, you have to awaken that uh, sense of subversion against the status quo. B and that's the mix. B-A-L-M so, and B-O-M-B. Yes. So the, so the, the, um, so that's one divisiveness um, amongst the people who claim, well, look, just give me a place where I can find some, some respite from the world. Don't bring here politics. Don't bring here the wars and the troubles of the world and the poor and the homeless and the, and the healthcare and immigration. Let's leave that outside of the synagogue. These are deserving people, aren't they? Of course. Which people? Those who say that, those who look those for those who say that are deserving people. Yeah. I am so the role of the religious leader in the religious institution is is to persuade, is to convince, and it's sometimes to go against the current of those who only want the peace and the calm. So we have, you know, we have to we have to go against that current. Then there's another type of divisiveness, and the other type of divisiveness is my point of view or your point of view. Now I have the privilege of the pulpit. I teach and uh, declare my own understanding of our sacred writings. As a rabbi, I study. I have studied and I continue to study the sacred texts of the Jewish tradition. I am acquainted with the texts of other traditions as well, not as, not as well and not as deeply as my own. I have studied Jewish history, and on the basis of Jewish history and Jewish text, I, I understand how the Jewish values are formed. And I <coughs> proclaim my teaching, or I teach from an understanding of how Jewish values meet the reality in which we live. But not everybody arrives to the same conclusion, and not everybody holds the same values in the same order. Understand? And therefore, there is a divisiveness in terms of sometimes my message does not find a friendly, a friendly response either by members of uh, my congregation or, or other colleagues or other members of other congregations. And that's the, another divisiveness. And there's, we live in that tension. That tension, I believe, is creative. I believe that uh, I, you know, I don't hold the truth. Um, or the only truth, I maybe have 
a piece of the truth, an understanding, a point of view, a perspective. I try to unlock that from within the text and from within my understanding of Jewish history and the reality in which we live. But other people reach other conclusions and, and I think in the give and take, uh, we, we are all elevated and perhaps we move to a higher place of a higher, to, to closer to higher truth. Really, uh, you talk about um, reading the text. How fair is it to say that you and others must read into it rather than read from it? It's a, it's a very good question. How much, do, how much do we do exegesis? How much do we read from the text and, the, and uh, derive a message that the text holds for us? and how much we're reading into it. It's, it's, it's something that we must ask ourselves all the time. Am I reading my own point of view into the text? So here's a, some sort of an answer. I believe that we all read the text selectively. I believe that we, it is, uh, we, we, tr we do exegesis, but I think that we all read the text selectively. In other words, um, uh, we read, we, we um, emphasize those pieces that we feel are useful for the message we want to deliver. Uh, we might be doing exegesis, we might be explicating the text and releasing uh, its meaning, sometimes yet another layer of meaning that we hadn't seen there before. But I believe that we, uh, and I think it's legitimate, I, I'm not studying the text as a, I'm not studying the text when I talk to my congregation, I'm not doing it as a scholar. No. I am not doing it as a professor. I'm not doing it as an academic. I'm doing it as a, as a rabbi, as a preacher. I am there to bring a message to my congregation so I can be selective with the text. I can choose which piece of the text to open up in order to release the message I am, uh, I am, I am seeking. I, am, I, I hope I do not impose my own ideas on the text, but rather let the text guide me. But I, I choose the sections that I feel might, um, if not give me the answers, at least give me the questions that will then put me on the, in the direction I want to, to go, just to ask the questions. Now, perhaps an unfair question. You'll tell me if it's unfair whether you answered or not. How different in this way are you from Marshall? Where, where do you take the master and uh, the mentor, the teacher, and go in a different direction? Uh, as I said in the beginning, Marshall is my beloved and revered teacher. Um, I have uh, admired him since I was a child and uh, I, I feel honored that I became his student and that I had uh, seven and a half years of, uh, of working side by side with him. I internalized a lot of his message and his teaching. It is part of me. But I have a little bit of a different voice. Marshall 
was very blunt. Marshall was, uh, at the end of his life in particular, he was very radical in, in, the, in the positive sense of the world, of the word. He was, uh, came on very strong. Um, I think um, my voice is a little softer. Um, I think that sometimes I can deliver a message uh, very strongly and very bluntly, but my style is different. I think I am also more uh, careful uh, uh, lately of bringing uh, other voices and other opinions um, just as I bring mine. Um, I don't think Marshall was too uh, open to do that, particularly in the last years of his life. He felt that time was running out. I don't know if he knew that he was sick, but he felt time was running out. He, he, he died at the age of 63. And um, um, I think he, he felt his righteous indignation was mounting. And he was very impatient at the end. And his message was, was, was very strong. I am, I am not there yet. Besides, what do you mean yet? Well, I don't know what will be if I'm granted uh, many more years. I don't know how I will be when I'm in my 60s or in my 70s. Um, I'm, I may get to the point where I feel more desperate about uh, the, the nature of the world and the problems and, and of trying to get a message across. I don't know. Um, um, I'm not him. I am me. And I know that I'm a little bit more soft-spoken. The other thing is um, that I think that uh, Marshall spoke in the 80s and the early 90s. I think that the place of the religious leader and the teacher has changed in the last 20, 25 years. How so? I think that uh, the great uh, preachers and uh, leaders uh, of the last of, of, the, of, of the 60s and the 50s, the 60s, even the 70s. You mentioned a few in your opening remarks. Reverend Martin Luther King, Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, the Reverend uh, William Sloan Coffin. So those people, and Marshall Meyer, those people were, were, were very uh, powerful in their message. Their message was very sharp. Um, I, 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 I think they had also a, a stand, uh, a platform that religious leaders no longer have. I think that religion has become uh, devalued um, for all sorts of reasons. Um, after, I think, the, the 60s and the 70s, religion has become devalued. Um, maybe it has to do something with the religious right, but I think it has to do with many other uh, factors. And, uh, and you no longer have uh, preachers who speak like that, who have that kind of platform. And, uh, and, therefore, and today, I think also people are uh, expecting from their leaders, whether it be religious leaders, political leaders, they're expecting to <coughs> engage in conversation and dialogue. Rather than I think, be led. Rather than just be told. Told. Um, I think people are expecting to engage in conversation, in a back and forth. And so today you see uh, many uh, religious leaders have blogs where people can 
deliver comments um, and uh, or have other uh, type of um, an opportunity for people to engage with them. I think that's that's the new era. I think maybe it's the you know um, maybe it's because of the internet and uh, how communications are done today, uh, social media. You see it in all these uh, countries that are now uh, where there's rebellions going on. And, and I'm not just talking about Egypt and Libya and so on. I'm talking about Turkey. I'm talking about Brazil. People want to engage. And so uh, I think it is true also about religious leaders. People want to engage. And so uh, the tone has to be different. Now, that being said, at the same time, you know, uh, many of us have a conviction. And the way we, as I said, the way we read our sources and the way we read reality uh, uh, pushes us, you know, to deliver a message that sometimes needs to be loud and needs to be strong and needs to be sharp. And if people disagree, they disagree. But we have to create the context or the, the, the ability for people to engage and, uh, and, uh, and, and to speak up and for us to have that kind of a, a give and take. What do you see in your congregation these days in terms of willingness to deal with fundamental questions? If religion is playing a lesser and lesser role, what do you see in your congregants? Well, our congregation has grown um, from Marshall's days. It has grown to a congregation of almost 4,000 people. So you must be doing something right. And hopefully. But at the same time, uh, um, our congregation has become less homogeneous ideologically. Our congregation is large and diverse. And not everybody agrees with uh, what my colleagues and I hold in terms of our, our, our views on all sorts of issues. Um, and um, we have all sorts of people with all sorts of ideas, wonderful people, uh, caring people, and uh, we agree on many things and there's disagreement about other things. And so we have, uh, we are uh, working very hard on finding a mechanism whereby we as religious leaders can express our views um, uh, carefully uh, with uh, a lot of uh, uh, well-founded views, uh, carefully and respectfully uh, and strongly and clearly. And at the same time, as I was saying before, to find the framework where people can come and say, I don't agree with you. Show me why did you reach that conclusion. Show me why do you uh, hold that view or that idea. And where people can, uh, uh, can openly disagree. It is fine to disagree. So uh, we are the leaders, we are the rabbis of this congregation, and we have both the honor or the privilege and the responsibility to express ourselves clearly. And at the same time, we have the responsibility to, uh, to listen and to learn from others as well. What do you find in the uh, uh, 
responses that you hear about the new generation and the older generation who still, of course, go to B'nai Jeshurun. What are we like? What are people like? What's your congregation like? You say diversity, of course, I appreciate that, but you must have a feeling. Oh, yes. I think that, um, I mean, first of all, our congregation wants uh, uh, services that are uh, meaningful and engaging and real and authentic, where it's not just some sort of ritual by rote, but prayer, prayer that is uh, meaningful and consequential and, and uh, transformative. Um, I think people want us to be a, a, a congregation that is engaged with the issues of the day. I mean, there is not much disagreement about most of the issues with which we engage uh, in terms of, um, of our social justice uh, involvement. There isn't a great deal of disagreement. I think our congregation wants to be uh, involved with Israel. Uh, uh, very strongly uh, supporting Israel um, and at the same time uh, supporting within Israel those uh, projects or ventures that will make Israel a more uh, just and a more uh, peaceful country, a, more, uh, 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 a country of more democracy and uh, um, more equality for, for all um, and uh, we support those projects and those movements uh, because we love Israel and we want to make Israel stronger and we want to see peace. And so I think there's no um, um, disagreement about that. Here and there, there's some, um, uh, there's some disagreement about which specific uh, direction to take here or there, but by and large, this is what people want. Roly, our time is up now, but uh, I want you to come back, if you will, because when you say here and there, I'd like to challenge that because I have the sense, and you may, uh, in your eloquence and in your familiarity with the situation, assure me that it is just here and there and there aren't fundamental differences, but I appreciate so much your having joined me today. I have my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thanks, too, to you in the audience. I hope you'll join us again next time. Meanwhile, as another old friend used to say, good night and good luck. And do visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to reprise this program online right now or to draw upon our archive of 1,500 or so other Open Mind and related programs. That's 13.org slash openmind.